Welcome to this edition of Community Matters Podcast on matters important to community associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of Community Associations Institute's Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley Chapter. The topic for this episode is governing documents, the documents that create and govern a condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, including the declaration, bylaws, and rules and regulations of the community. What are these documents? What are covenants, codes, and restrictions? Who enacts them? How can they be amended? And how are they enforced? We'll find out in this podcast where my guest is Sarah Austin, Esquire, with the Austin Law Firm in York, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Sarah, and please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, good morning, Tony. Um, I appreciate being able to be here. I do a fair amount of my practice representing various associations, condominium associations, homeowner associations. I also do a lot of other civil litigation, real estate, and estate planning. Um, but, but I really enjoy this area. You know, it covers a lot of people, and sometimes they're um, many businesses, and we certainly know that they're communities. I'm glad to be here with you today. So let's get started with the, with the most basic question. Each, uh, each community association has a set of governing documents, much like a nation has a constitution and laws and rules. What are these documents as they relate to a community association? Good question, and obviously the most basic question. Um, first and foremost, they're going to have the declaration. Sometimes it's also referred to as the covenants. Um, and then they should also have a set of bylaws. Um, the declaration is similar to Articles of Incorporation for, for a corporate entity, but it's a little broader. Um, and the bylaws for an association are similar to bylaws in any other corporate entity. They really govern the procedure and things like that. Um, governing documents for an association can also include rules or regulations, uh, but those are not required. Does every community association have the same set of documents and, and are they required by law? Uh, every association um, by law must have a declaration. That is actually the first document that gets filed, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, every association has to have that. That sets out um, definitions for various terms that are used in it. Um, it also creates the association. Um, by statute, if there are bylaws, and there should be, um, those also are in place. They really govern um, more, more so the running of the association, whose responsibility it is for various things, how meetings are held, things like that. As far as rules and regulations, an association does not have to have those by state law. Um, they are usually permitted under either the declaration or the bylaws, and usually um, those are, are, um, deal with more, more details for the association, such as it might be pools, it might be holiday decorations, things like that. You mentioned that these documents uh, are filed. Uh, where would where would the declaration be filed? What what government agency uh, are the documents filed at? Um, the declaration is one that does have to be filed by state law, and that would be filed in the recorder of deeds office. And that's the only, the bylaws don't need to be filed? They do not. Oftentimes they are because it's easier when a document is filed to say that everybody has notice of it, everybody can find it, and, and they're really charged with knowing what it says. But the problem when you have to record a document is that you have to index it against every single unit or every single lot in the community. So for example, if you have 500 separate lots, you have 500 separate 
parcels against which a document has to be indexed. So you've got the, the regular recording fee and then you've got a real small fee per unit. So it can really get to be expensive, uh, which so that's why it's, that would be a reason why you would not want to file the bylaws. Rules and regulations do not need to be recorded and usually are not because they change more often. So before the community is built, there's no, obviously there's no homeowners, there's no association leaders. Who's responsible for creating the original set of documents? That is the declarant who is also usually the builder. Um, and that person or that entity um, prepares the documents. They, they handle all these definitions. They set up the association and they file it. And oftentimes they will build in phases so that you will find the declaration is amended. It might deal with phase one at first, which might have 20 units, and then they'll add in phase two, which is another 20 or 30 units. So they'll amend the declaration. And the reason that they do that is because if they set up all 100 or how many ever units at the beginning, they have to pay the association fees on all of those units from the beginning, even though there's nothing there, even though there's nothing built. So it's easier to amend the declaration as they go along. Communities uh, tend to change as they mature, and so changes may become necessary in the rules and regulations and even the declaration at times. So how are these documents amended? Um, well, sometimes they're not, um, and we'll start from the top. The declaration, which again is the one that is usually um, prepared and filed by the declarant or the builder, that can be amended by a vote of, of two-thirds of the homeowners. Sometimes it's higher. The declaration may say it takes three quarters, but by law it has to be at least two-thirds of all homeowners voting to amend, and that's a difficult burden. So um, sometimes a declaration can't be amended even though people may want it. Bylaws are a little bit different. Um, those are, again, are usually prepared early in the process by the declarant or the builder. Um, occasionally that's overlooked and then down the line the association has to prepare it. Um, depending on what the bylaws provide, that can be amended by either the board or the homeowners. It, again, it depends on what the bylaws say and the percentage of vote required will also be specified in the bylaws, but it's easier to amend bylaws than a declaration. Rules and regulations are much easier. Those again are usually put into place by the board uh, and they can be amended by the board. You, you, board could amend them every month if it so chose. Doesn't usually happen that often, but it's much easier to amend rules and regulations. Um, are, so when changes are made, how are those changes communicated to the owners, especially if it's a, um, a board decision, um, oftentimes homeowners aren't attending board meetings or not even invited in some cases to attend board meetings. So if a change is made, and this is specific to the rules and regulations, I think, what's the best way that the board ought to be communicating that to the owners? Well, what, what I suggest, at least to the associations I represent and, and would suggest to, to all of the associations out there, is to actually do it in several ways. Um, if it happens at a board meeting, make sure it's part of the minutes that should be disseminated to all of the homeowners. Put it on the website. If you send out a newsletter, put it in there. You want to make sure that you send it out to the homeowners every possible way to communicate to them what the new rule or regulation is. If, if they don't do that, um, and not to suggest there's any negligence, but let's just say they adopt a rule or they change rule and they forget to publicize it for whatever reason, does that impact how or whether it can be enforced later on? Uh, possibly. 
Um, clearly, it's still you know something that's um, that's been enacted. Um, but I, I could certainly see if, for example, they were trying to assess some type of violation or penalty against the homeowner, an argument, well, we didn't know about it or anything. Community association practitioners, uh, managers, attorneys such as yourself, etc., uh, often refer to the hierarchy of documents, which is a fancy way of asking which document takes precedence. And that's also important because every now and then there is a conflict, an internal conflict between the documents. You hope not. Um, but there is. At the bottom, um, meaning that anything else can trumpet, are the rules and regulations. Um, next, in order of priority or seniority, if you will, are the bylaws. Uh, next is the declaration, and then at the top of the heap is applicable state law. Now, state law, for example, may defer to one of the other documents, in which case then they take precedence. But usually if there is something in state law and it says, you know, something shall be done this particular way, then that's how it shall be done. And if there's something else in any of the other documents, they give way to what's in state law. Uh, lastly, but certainly of great importance, uh, is enforcement. Who's, re who's responsible for enforcement of the rules and regulations, and how are these uh, documents in total enforced? Well, ultimately it's a combination of the board of the association and the homeowners, because all of these governing documents actually benefit all of the homeowners, so they can really try to enforce them too. Usually they don't do that. Usually enforcement is left up to the board, and some things can be delegated by a board to a managing agent. Um, a lot of times they'll have them go around and look for violations, they'll have them send out the dues notices, just various things like that, um, which by state law they are allowed to delegate. There are some things that cannot be delegated that the board has to do as part of its authority, but usually the enforcement um, comes back to the board. Um, let's look at it from a, a unit owner's perspective for a second. If a unit owner believes there's a violation of these documents, how does that situation usually get resolved? Um, well, sometimes it gets resolved very quickly and easily if they will contact the managing agent or the board member, one of the board members, um, and explain why they think that there's something going on and then it can be worked out amicably and quickly. If that doesn't work, then the homeowner's remedy is to file a suit essentially um, asking the court to order the association to enforce whatever the enforcement would be in that particular situation. Sorry, you mentioned at the outset when we first started talking uh, about nonprofit corporations and some associations are registered as nonprofit corporations, others are not. If, if there is a nonprofit corporation, uh, if an association is a nonprofit corporation, is there another document that comes into play there? Well, really the, the difference, and there's three, we've got nonprofit or not-for-profits, we've got for-profits, which most people just think of as regular corporations, and then we've also got unincorporated entities, which I'm starting to come across more and more. So if we're dealing with a nonprofit, it's really how they were organized at the beginning, and then they will file um, a federal form 990 for their taxes. There's certain things by law that they can't do because of their nonprofit status, but that normally isn't going to affect an association because it's there for the benefit of all of the homeowners. Um, a for-profit or regular corporation, if you will, files the federal form 1120 for its taxes, 
It does not have the restrictions on what it can or can't do, but again, it usually doesn't make a difference for associations. Um, and then what I'm seeing a little bit more of now are unincorporated associations. And oftentimes they have no documents filed um, with the state, although, you know, again, normally they're going to file the federal form 1120. Um, but what they really need to do is they need to register with the Department of State because that essentially reserves the name. If some other corporate entity comes in, let's say after the association has been in existence for 20 years and um, incorporates using that same name and it's not on file, the association now legally can't use that name. So, so they need to file certain documents and it's a yearly thing to make sure to save that name if they're unincorporated. And if they do choose to, to incorporate under state nonprofit corporation law, they are then bound by whatever um, uh, restrictions or provisions are, exist in the nonprofit corporation law that may differ from the Condo Act or the Planned Community Act. For example, we, um, we talked about communicating changes. Um, isn't it true that there are some items in the nonprofit corporation law as to sharing data, sharing information, um, open meetings that are not necessarily required under the Condo or Plain Community Acts? There, there certainly are things in the nonprofit um, corporation law that are not in um, state either associate, homeowner association or condominium act. That doesn't mean that, that they shouldn't be happening though. Um, most associations um, are use normal parliamentary procedure, which means that everything is open, whether it's the general association meetings or the board meetings, everything is open unless, for example, the board goes into executive session to discuss litigation or something like that. So, so in that respect, it's really very similar to the nonprofit corporation law or even the business corporation law for um, regular incorporate regular um, for-profit entities. So boards just need to do some investigating, obviously read their documents and make sure they understand uh, what their obligations are. It's very important for every member of the board to know what they're supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do, um, and, and if they're not sure, then obviously they should um, run it by an attorney because these are legal issues that we're talking about. Well, Sarah, thank you for joining me uh, in answering these questions on community association documents. This is a basic topic, but one that really has great significance to our membership and our audience. For those of you who may want more information on this topic, you can find Sarah's contact information on her website at www.austinlawllc.com. For more resources on this and other topics regarding the management or governance of your condominium, cooperative or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.cai-padelval.org. Thanks for listening.